0: Hello, Dr. Ricky Aronson, and welcome to another episode of Happy Healthy Ever After, a seriously humorous guide to heterosexual love, gender differences, and sex. In today's episode, I'll be covering part two of five simple approaches to a lasting love. And believe it or not, I'll be covering the actual approaches, unlike episode one. So the first approach couldn't be more simple. Say thank you. That's it. Say thank you and express gratitude to your partner as much as possible. And that is because all human beings are affirmation junkies by nature. We live to get affirmation from other people, how much more importantly, from our partners. And there is nothing that people require more than for their partner to make them feel valued for who they are and what they do. So take every opportunity to express gratitude and say thanks to your partner for what they do for you. Whether it's a positive conversation, they've spent time decorating the dining room table, a good sexual experience, say thank you. A nice meal that they've made for you. Always express appreciation. And there are many positive side effects to this. The first is that when we take the time to appreciate someone else, we love them more because we appreciate all the things they do for us and we grow our love you can't make someone feel valued if you don't truly value them now the other positive side effect is that we feel happy by taking the time to appreciate things about our partner we love them more we appreciate them more and we derive more pleasure and happiness from life because it's so easy to pass by a positive, pleasurable experience and not take the time to appreciate it. So you can eat a delicious chocolate, have great sex, walk past a beautiful flower, and unless you take the time to stop, appreciate the positivity, appreciate the pleasure that you're getting from it, and say thank you to the world, to God, to your partner, you are not as happy as you should be because happiness is always about a series of positive experiences. But we don't actually register those positive experiences unless we actually stop every time we're having a positive experience and say, hey, this is a great cup of coffee. This is great sex. This is a great meal that my wife has made for me. And that in turn feeds positivity to your partner. So when you take the time to say thank you and express gratitude, your partner responds by feeling happy about doing good things for you. So by them feeling good, they want to do more good things for you because they know it makes them feel good. They get a reward, they get emotional affirmation. So you create this positive cycle of giving in your your relationship and giving is the infrastructure of love. But also, if you don't say thank you and you don't express gratitude, even if you feel it, then you create resentment because there's nothing that people feel more resentful about than when they do something good for other people And it's not noted. No one actually turns to them and say, thank you. After a while, they say, why do I bother? They never even say thank you. They don't appreciate anything I do for you. And that's a big cause of divorce. In fact, 70% of Australian couples who get divorced say that the reason why their relationship broke down was because of insufficient attention. And part of that attention is saying thank you and appreciating your partner and expressing it. And it's a great lesson for life. And it's a great lesson for life. Many years ago, I made a decision that I would praise people when they did good things for me or when they did something that was positive. You always run the risk that people will go, oh, you know, that's obsequious. You're just sucking up to people. It's it's false. It's not sincere. But that's not true. I praise people sincerely. I say, thank you. That's amazing. That was a great contribution to our conversation. You did great work back there. And that is what makes people feel positive. It gives them affirmation and it builds relationships. And how much more important is that in your love life? Now, another important aspect of making someone feel valued is so-called stakeholder engagement, that you need to engage your partner in meaningful discussions when it comes to decisions on behalf of your relationship, your home, your family. Don't tell them what to do and make decisions for them. Because a big part of feeling valued is for people to feel that their opinions are heard, that they're listened to, and that what they think and say is actually appreciated and taken seriously. So if you dismiss the opinions of your partner, they will not feel valued. For partners to feel valued, there are three incredibly important, indispensable components. The first is kindness or giving, which I'll cover in another of my approaches. The second is consideration. Consideration is an attitude that we have to nurture because our survival instincts encourage us to think only of our own needs, but relationships only work if there is a culture of care and concern. There can't be a partnership if each participant is predominantly concerned with themselves. Relationships work when both members commit fully to the needs of the other and understand that the future of the relationship requires a greater consideration than individual selfish motivations. Developing sensitivity to the feelings of others is a lifelong human challenge, but worthwhile for relationship success. If everyone spent more time caring about the feelings of others and less time worrying about their own, the world would solve many of its problems overnight. Your partner will not feel valued if you show scant concern for their feelings. And ultimately, being selfish is actually not in our own interests, ironically. Because if we lose our relationships or they suffer, that leaves us little of value to celebrate. So for selfish reasons, it's worth trying to become more considerate. I mentioned the third component that is important is respect, because nothing offends people and makes them feel more devalued than being disrespected. A single incident of disrespect can undo years of hard work and good relations by injuring pride and revealing an underlying denigrating attitude. The problem is that once respect is lost, it's difficult to retrieve a workable, let alone positive relationship. So developing an acute sensitivity to the feelings of your partner creates a depth of connection that can be warm and profound. And the easiest part of that is to start taking note of all the things they do and praising them for who they are, how they look, when they look pretty or handsome, what they do for you, every positive experience. Say thank you. It's so good for both of you and your relationship and it's just so easy. The second simple approach is nurture your friendship. Make time to converse together, spend quality time together, find mutual interests, go walking in nature together. Because many studies have shown that being best friends with your partner is the most important determinant of a successful marriage. Because many studies have shown that being best friends with your partner is the most important determinant of a successful marriage. So a major part of your business plan is to choose someone whose company you enjoy. Personnel management evidence has also demonstrated that having a good friend at work is a major determinant of workplace happiness. And this certainly applies to the workplace of marriage. Let's face it, managing children and a spouse take hard work. So having a friend around is helpful. To the great disappointment of many husbands, most female partners want more than the initial passion of sex and excitement. At some point, many wives expect meaningful, intelligent conversation and emotional connection. Life partners spend a lot of time together, so enjoying each other's company is essential. Good looks are great, But it is likely that you're going to spend more time talking and chatting to your partner than admiring their beauty in most cases, unless you're married to Chris Hemsworth. Yes, unfortunately for many husbands, you have to get used to the reality that your wife is in love with Chris Hemsworth. Whenever I feel my wife is not listening to me, I always remind her that I am more than just a pretty face. She usually disagrees. I'm not certain whether this means that I am just a pretty face. Or that I'm not even a pretty face. Being best friends with your partner is good for conflict avoidance because friendship is built on a foundation of getting along and managing disagreement with goodwill. On the other hand, this one is for men. If you're dating a woman and she tells you after a few dates, let's just be good friends, she's not giving you a hint that that's going to be the foundation of your marriage. Men need to be counseled from an early age about how to manage this hurtful statement, let's just be friends, without suffering long-term psychological damage. Perhaps if women in this case could learn to be a bit more sensitive when they tell men this, something like this maybe. The woman could say, let's just be friends, but I see this gives you a lot of distress, so I'm going to have sex with you now just to assist with your emotional adjustment. Now, when we talk about best friends, when it comes to my marriage, my wife is my best friend. And part of that is there's no one else in the world that I would share anything with before I share it with my wife. I tell her my good news, my bad news, things that make me happy, things that make me sad. She's the person that I want to tell everything to and tell her first. I don't keep things from her. And that's what a true friendship is all about. When your friend actually cares to celebrate the good with you and to commiserate when there's bad And it's about sharing emotion, not the usual line which people, you know, they give you a line of advice and then when you don't listen because their line of advice is unhelpful and it's a throwaway line, you go, hey, I I thought of that, but that won't work. And they go, well, if you're not going to listen to me, then why did you even ask my advice in the first place? I call that the most useless statement in the world. Any line that starts with, why don't you just do dot, dot, dot. So friendship is actually not about just giving people, why don't you just lines? It's about sharing emotion. So if your husband, your wife, your partner comes to you and they want to talk to you about something, don't tell them it's unimportant. Don't say you don't have time for it. Don't be distracted. When it comes to sharing emotion, you need to be in that moment with them, and you need to take that emotional burden on your shoulders as well because friendship is about sharing emotion, and there is nothing more important than building that best friendship with your partner. Now, the third simple approach is outcome is proportional to investment. So the outcome that you get in your relationship will be a direct consequence of how much you give. And giving is the infrastructure of love. So giving is the building block of love. So most worthwhile outcomes in almost every field require hard work and perseverance. According to several studies, the most common route to becoming a millionaire is the saver investor model. Evidence suggests that about half the world's wealthy people have achieved success by spending an average period of 30 years, working hard, saving, and investing. The more you give, the more you invest, the more you receive. Relationships follow the same formula. The key to a million dollar relationship is found in the investment of time, energy, and effort, combined with a healthy dose of determination and commitment. How we invest ourselves provides real-world evidence for what we truly value. What you spend your time and money on is what you care about. Most of us make conscious choices about where we invest our finite resources and how we expend ourselves reflects our priorities. I don't have time usually means I don't care. If you don't have time and energy to invest in your marriage or your partner's concerns, There must be something wrong with your marriage or with your approach. Husband, I don't have time to help clean the kitchen. Wife, so how do you have time to watch football on TV? Investing involves giving something of yourself in the present with the hope and expectation of a greater positive long-term yield. So in a sense, giving is actually also selfish because the more we give to our relationships, the more we will receive. Marriage is all about the long game, although hopefully it doesn't feel like a marathon. The path to a happy marriage is paved with giving. Giving has many pleasant side effects. The more you give, the kinder you become and the better you will feel about yourself. The more you get into the habit, the more other people, particularly your spouse, will like you and give back in return. This will infuse positivity into your interactions because you will be perceived as a kind and positive person. You will start to take pride in the person you're growing into. Your relationships will benefit as your interactions will give you positive affirmation because everyone will enjoy having you around and treat you accordingly. Giving can be transformative. A smile, a kind word or gesture can lift the mood of a despairing partner. When the mood is low, it's easy to respond negatively to others, especially if they appear unfriendly. The best treatment for suffering is giving. The more you give, the more you will love. Look at how people love their babies because they give them so much. Newborns don't give much back unless you count insomnia as a gift. Since your marriage and family are your most important investment, give to them as much as you can. When people get old and reflect on their lives, they seldom regret not making more money or working harder, but many regret not giving enough to their loved ones. And this comes back also to my first approach about gratitude and thanks, people regret not saying thank you more, not expressing appreciation more. People look back on their lives and they go, I really wish I told that person how much I love them. I really wish I told that person how I appreciate who they are, what they are, made them feel better about themselves. These are the kinds of things we regret. So don't make that mistake. Live every day like it's your last and take every opportunity to praise other people. But even if you want to be selfish, research has proven that giving, not taking, makes us happy. So if you're selfish by nature, you might consider investing in becoming a more giving person because this will lead to your life becoming happier and your relationships more successful. What could be more self serving than that? If you stop giving, you stop caring. So that's a really easy way to maintain love. If your relationship is floundering, if your sex life is suffering, if things are deteriorating, start investing again. Make sure you put aside quality time to spend together. Start giving to your partner, start simulating love, have sex again, re-engage, re-engage in doing fun things together. That's how you build a relationship. It's about mutual giving and investment. And it does take harder work at times. Sometimes it comes naturally. Sometimes you need to just make the time, put in the energy. But investment is what will fix most problems. If something is not working, put in the time and energy to fix it. Talk about it. Do it. Make it work. Now, just as an interesting side story, I know a couple who got married many years ago. And whenever I spent time with them, I felt really frustrated because I just wanted to say to them, if you just gave more to each other, you could fix your relationship problems. But they were so preoccupied with not giving, that their relationship never really flourished. And I remember as a ridiculous example of how uh, much they didn't enjoy giving to each other. The wife said to me, ah, it's my husband's birthday coming up. I know he's going to buy this book for himself. So to save us money, I'll buy the book for him because I know he was going to buy it anyway and give it to him for his birthday. And I just looked at them and thought, gee, if I could just spend some time with you, I would teach you both to start giving to each other again, and your relationship would grow. Now, there are challenges to giving. So when it comes to investment, there are times in your life when you have to work harder, having babies, having young children. It's much more difficult to put aside time for quiet conversation about important matters to be intimate, to have sex. But even when you're struggling with a sleepless baby, keep investing, keep putting in the time and effort into your relationship. So in simple summary of this section, successful loving relationships are built on a foundation of investment, of giving and hard work. And if things are deteriorating, it's usually reinvestment Putting time, energy, and giving back into that area that will fix most problems. Remember, inattention is the biggest cause of divorce. And so, giving attention to things that aren't working is the most obvious fix. Now, a fourth simple approach is there is no I in team. For a partnership to work, it needs to be a partnership. You have to be a team, you must be united. But what does that actually look like? It means working hard together with the primary concern being the health of the relationship. And for that to work, any problem that either individual has must be taken seriously by both partners and dealt with as a relationship issue, not as an individual issue. There's no blame. It's not your fault or my fault. It's a problem that we as a couple have to deal with. And likewise, we build together as a team by spending time together, by investing effort into everything that we do together, and most importantly, by protecting time together. But there are other very important things to mention as well. The one is unity at home, privately, and in public. So when we're together, we need to talk as a team. That means each part needs to commit unreservedly to fulfilling the needs of the other. When we are with the kids, we need to present a united front. We can go and disagree privately and sort it out as a team in private, but we should not be expressing A divided front in front of the children. Children can be monsters. They invade the family home and they can destroy relationships. We know that children are one of the big three causes of divorce. So you have to be a team as parents. You've got to work together and you've got to present a united front. One of the simplest approaches I can give you to help bonding your team is to adopt what I call work with, not against. If you seek compromise, dialogue, negotiation, and a positive outcome in every encounter with your partner that will significantly reduce the amount that you fight and bring you together. There's almost no circumstance in which you can't talk about things, work together on them, and create a win-win for both partners. It's only when we try and win fights, win arguments, impose our will on our partners that we end up in strife. So cultivate this attitude, wake up every day and say to yourself, I'm going to work with not against my partner today. I'm going to work with not against other people, because if you have a peaceable attitude and you attempt to find positivity in every interaction, you will mostly be successful. There's usually no need to criticize other people and be judgmental. It does nothing good for you. It makes you miserable and angry, and it makes other people miserable and angry. So we have such an instinct to want to criticize things when you know your partner makes your meal you don't like. People feel the need to say, I don't like this chicken. That's just going to create a fight. And what good does it actually do? If you've got nothing nice to say, just be quiet. Work with, not against. You want to recruit your partner as an ally, not an opponent. It's just about the most important strategy in your life. So work with them. Not against them. And speaking of unity and working with people, there's nothing more embarrassing than when you meet a couple and they criticize each other in public. So you go out and you meet a new couple, and the guy opens with, Oh, I know our car has a huge smash in it, but it was my wife's fault. I would never have made that mistake on the road. Or worse, I still haven't got over my wife's affair. And because of the other guy, now I have to contend with genital herpes as well awkward. So we don't need to know about that. Don't criticize your partner in public. In fact, most of the time, don't criticize them in private either. Unfortunately, most wives have had the embarrassing experience that their husbands are a force of nature once in full cry. My wife is kicking me under the table to stop me telling you this, but I'm going to tell you anyway. My advice to the wife, kick harder. Your husband may keep blabbing, But at least you'll feel better when you see him limping the next day. And he may have learned his lesson. Now, speaking of effective bonding of a team, teamwork is all about bringing together the individual talents, the diverse abilities of the individuals to create something better as a whole. So don't be concerned about what other couples are doing. How you manage your roles in a relationship, who does the housework, who works, who takes care of the kids, how you manage the household, that should be about making the two of you happy. It's not about other people. It's just about you. I don't care about gender roles or stereotypes. It's about what you as a couple find works using your own diverse abilities and attitudes. And nobody should judge you for that. You are the team. And what other people are saying is not important, but that also means you need to work as a team and talk about what you need to make you happy, how you share responsibilities, how you make your marriage and your household work. One of the challenges of a good team is to maintain unity without compromising individual growth and expression. In business, professional development is an essential component of good management. Healthy relationships encourage talent development, and free self-expression. The challenge is to build a partnership that is bonded so strongly that it moves as one, yet retains sufficient flexibility to allow both partners to explore and improve their individuality. This requires balancing the tension between creating boundaries that are sufficiently rigid to contain the unity of the relationship while maintaining room for each partner to grow. Only as a united team can couples succeed in riding the emotional ups and downs of life and having a sense of collective achievement. Collective achievement is when both partners feel that the couple rise and fall as a team. Whatever brings us down brings both of us down. When we go up, we go up together. Whatever happens to us, good or bad, we are in this together. That's called collective achievement, and it's the highest expression of stakeholder engagement. Importantly, it's not useful to try to turn your partner into another you. One of you is quite enough for this planet. Thank you very much. Diversity is healthy and provides opportunity to grow and learn, which keeps marriages interesting and stimulating. It's preferable to get out of the habit of becoming angry when your partner disagrees with you. They may know something that you don't. Good management provides the tools to promote the development of individual talent so, it's worthwhile to encourage your partner to realize their potential. Give them the space and opportunity to grow their abilities, praise, and support them. Some people are possessive and exclude their spouses from their interests in case their own selfish needs are compromised. Hobbies and sports are good for mental health because they allow downtime away from stress. Relationships are better off if both partners maintain sound mental well being. So, encourage and support your partner's endeavors career, and hobbies, even for your own good. The more you can be open to individual expression, the more your partner will feel liberated to express their talents, which will increase their buy-in and investment and improve performance and outcome. Even wives must temper their authority to avoid making their husbands feel castrated. There's a fine line between good management and bullying. Males need a certain amount of time spent in glorious XY chromosome mode, watching the ball game with friends, drinking beer and shouting F-bombs at the screen. Like with children, screens are great babysitters for husbands. They won't get up to any meaningful mischief while they're glued to the TV. And women can get on with the job of managing the universe in peace. There's seldom any utility in telling people, especially a spouse, to do things your way. Most people resent orders and instructions. Work with, not against them. Partners cannot do their best work if they feel shackled and their creativity is stifled by micromanagement. Asking for your partner's engagement and opinion on matters of decision making is bonding for your team and more likely to succeed with a good outcome than the stress of fighting. Your long-term relationship and results will benefit if both of you become allies by choice. In some marriages, Wives get better outcomes by allowing their husbands to believe that they have a say in decision-making, even though we all know that men often really don't have much say in certain important matters. And the fifth and final approach is to create a culture of continuous improvement. That's to stimulate a culture where both partners are committed to constantly improving themselves, their relationship, and their marriage. Complacency leads to apathy and loss of the edge required to survive and grow. A commitment from both partners to keep improving themselves, stimulates energy, greater fulfillment, and a more interesting life. This is proven by the fact that no matter how tired my wife is, she always seems to maintain an abundance of energy for trying to turn me into a more cultivated and functional human being. We weren't put on this planet to win the sprint. We're in it for the long haul. Winning is thrilling, but a life committed to always winning is exhausting, stressful, and unachievable. On the other hand, if your goal is constant personal self-improvement, you will feel inspired by progress and accomplishment, the true foundation of existential happiness. A relationship that embraces a culture of improvement creates harmony of purpose, which comes with its own set of constructive benefits. Combined with a constant infusion of positive energy, If you get something wrong, your partner will be less upset because they know you are trying to improve. When they tell you that you got it wrong, you won't get angry because you want to learn and get better. Commitment to getting better is an invariably successful route to genuine improvement. And there are benefits for you, for your partner and for your relationship. Aspiration and growth are evidence-based to give humans energy and emotional satisfaction. So there's nothing more depressing than stagnation and regression. There's nothing more depressing than going backwards, even minor setbacks, like when you leave for work and discover you've left your umbrella behind and waste two minutes retrieving it. You get really upset because you've endured a setback. You've gone backwards. Humans hate going backwards. Everyone despises the line, you're gonna have to start again. The human spirit demands progress. So although it takes hard work and training for many husbands to become better, they can learn and improve. It's fundamentally important for every relationship that both partners aspire to keep improving themselves in their marriage. That progress will give a sense of fulfillment. So embracing a culture of continuous improvement is sufficient to enrich and improve our relationships. Thanks for listening to another episode of Happy Healthy Ever After. Make sure you subscribe to the show in your podcast app so you don't miss an episode. And I'd love you to share this podcast with any friends, family or colleagues who might be interested in the show. The content and opinions on these podcasts are my own and do not reflect the views of my employer or affiliates. Content is not intended as a substitute for professional health and relationship advice.